What's up, you stadium? Hello, how's it going, man? Not much. Just waiting for Ian to jump in. You got any questions? Um, is this primarily dynasty talk? Yeah, but we can talk about anything. We can talk redraft if you want. Uh, how do we feel about? Let's see. Right off the top of my head, how do we feel about um the running back situation? And we'll say Miami with Mostert hurt today, uh, and Chase Edmonds clearly losing, uh, clearly losing carries and snap percentages in that offense. With Miles Gaskin actually had more carries this weekend. How do we feel about that moving forward? If Mostert doesn't play, do we trust Chase Edmonds to go back in there, or do we trust Miles Gaskin? Um, I would trust Edmonds uh, over over Gaskin if Mostert can't go, but if Mostert's healthy, then obviously I expect him. I did not realize that Gaskin actually led, actually had more than Edmonds, but I don't think that's going to be indicative of anything major. I think that's mostly just going to be a, a like a one-off type of thing. I remember uh, my friend had an app last year where you could see when in a game script a player's uh, – touches actually came so i'd be interested to see if um some of gaskin's touches came like right at the end of the game or something but no if, if moster can't go then i would feel all right about um chase edmonds as a, a flex play hello Cox. all right thanks Ian. Well, that was not my mic whatever that was <laughs> but uh i just came in a little Gaskin talk, and uh, who doesn't like talking about running backs? I know. I love talking uh, about running backs. Gaskin also earned targets last game, or received targets, which was another encouraging sign that, especially in this offense, um, I think there's still the possibility that the Miami Dolphins, uh, in terms of churning running backs, comes a similar situation, kind of what we've seen in the past couple years to San Francisco, where, you know, there's obviously not a a big workhorse there that's going to take all the work, uh, both in the rushing game and receiving game. But um, it's a good rushing offense, or appears to be, um, with a lot of usable pieces. And especially when you're just churning running backs, the Miami Dolphins offense looks like a good one to do it with. Yeah, I feel good about Raheem Mostert in this offense. Even though Gaskin had the most targets of that backfield, Mostert ran by far the most routes there so and he has been doing that for the last couple games so I feel fine like plugging him in as long as he's healthy he should be good I'm not sure what his injury is um haven't been paying too close attention to that whoops but um I'm not concerned with the the usage of Gaskin as it pertains to Raheem Mostert although if Mostert was to miss time then I don't know like if in Dynasty I'm like Miles Gaskin should be rostered pretty much everywhere just because he's a backup running back or a third-string running back. Yeah, absolutely, especially on this offense like we just talked about. And he's someone that's going to earn some targets, and we've seen you know, production profile from him just when he was getting more of the run in the last couple of years with the Dolphins. So, yeah, he's someone that I'd be rostering if he's available in any of your leagues. Yes. So I have a question for you that we talked a little bit about before the show, uh, just when I was texting Ian. Instead of talking about running backs that almost no one cares about, like Miles Gaskin, let's talk about the most important running backs. And that's the question of, I think we right now have a three-way race for Dynasty RB1. Brees Hall. Bet- between Brees Hall, Saquon Barkley, and Jonathan Taylor. Who do you have as your Dynasty RB1 right now? Um, B. John Robinson. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so, the obvious uh, answer. Yeah, obviously we've got Saquon Barkley. Uh, Brees Hall has absolutely found himself uh, in this discussion for good reason. Um, and then I still think uh, Christian McCaffrey is someone who belongs in that conversation mm-hmm. despite being 27, just because you're looking at a running back landscape that is already really fragile. And just the landscape as a whole, especially, well, this season, uh, it feels like we've seen a lot of movement in those top um, spots. Uh, more than at least usual, um, at least this early. And, and I mean, just looking at it, like using keep trade cut here, like just looking at the top 10 and in terms of the 30-day trends, inside running backs in the top 10, there's only four that have a 
30-day trend within 10, meaning they're shooting up or down. Like Damian Pierce up 41 spots in the last 30 days. Javante Williams down 27, as we know. Kenneth Walker up 37. Nick Chubb up 26. Saquon up 23. Hall up 21. Um, Javon, uh, Najee Harris down 30. Like there's a lot of movement inside the top 10, which even for a running back position that we know isn't very uh, concrete or will stay concrete for long. Still a lot of movement this early. And then obviously you have Jonathan Taylor in there. I think it just more so depends on uh, kind of your team situation. I think that's true for a lot of the way that you're going to um, manage running backs on your roster, I think is fair to say. Um, I think it almost becomes roster dependent in terms of who's going to be your running back one. Like if, if I have a roster right now that is competing clearly, yeah, maybe Christian McCaffrey in terms of value is not the running back one but I'd find it very hard not to him be the first running back that you would want on your team because we've seen the usage that he's getting even in a bad offense and know that even through five weeks, he has rest of season running back one uh, well within his range of outcomes. And especially for uh, a position that we know suffers a lot of injuries, like just take Javante Williams, for example, he was younger. Um, and then you have Christian McCaffrey, who's 27, and he's been hurt for a couple of years, but he's still up there because of his production. So the fact that he's RB1 because of the production and not the age is also a huge reason why, um, well, he's my RB1 on contenders and is likely a cheaper RB1 for contenders than you would have to pay to acquire. Interesting. That, that is interesting. I was thinking that if you're a contender, I don't know, Saquon Barkley is probably – he's a year – like over a year younger than yeah, McCaffrey sorry. with better production right now or very similar production. And the peripherals are very similar and the history of production between the two. McCaffrey has had a higher peak back in 2019, but the history of production is very similar where they both have legendary seasons. Yeah, I would agree with that. I should have thrown Saquon in there as well, especially because he's putting up essentially the same level peripherals that Christian McCaffrey is. And he's about a year or a little over a year younger. Um, and this offense uh, uh, might be a little more on the rise than what we're seeing from Carolina. Yeah, they've been but, absolutely horrible. I, I saw this um, stat from someone, I forget who, but it's a very fun stat where in terms of fantasy points per team play, McCaffrey is first. And then if he was on the team that's running the most plays, which I believe is Arizona Cardinals, he would have 25 points per game instead of the paltry 19 that he has right now which is still absolutely insane yeah and i think that's something with mccaffrey where even if the situation like right now is bad you don't necessarily have to worry about the situation getting in the way of uh production for the most part like he brought up that he would be way up there in a much better offense but he's still putting up high-end running back one numbers possibly running back one uh overall type level numbers uh, currently, and that's on a terrible offense. So that's another thing you don't have to worry about uh, with Christian McCaffrey because you know there's that very strong possibility he goes into a week and puts up a 30% target share. Like running backs just don't do that. Yeah, the uh, what we're seeing right now for McCaffrey is basically his floor because of what this offense is. I don't know if it gets much better. I mean, firing Matt Rule is definitely good, but just in terms of like – variance wise it'll it'll, they'll have better weeks than they've had so far so we're looking at the floor right now but then if you're on the younger side do you prefer Brees Hall or Jonathan Taylor uh and this may be controversial but I'll take Brees Hall um and obviously there's a little bit more risk into that but the reason why that I want to talk about is because so we knew that Brees Hall had this level of ceiling um, just looking at his prospect profile, like when we're talking about league winner prospects, there aren't many of them. There was Jonathan Taylor. He was one of them. But one thing that is important that we just talked about with running backs is their target share or their ability in the receiving game or their usage in the receiving game. And when we look at the league winner prospects before Brees Hall, you got like Adrian Peterson, McCaffrey, Barkley, Jonathan Taylor, and Reggie Bush. So obviously there's a lot of different archetypes. And when we're looking at a prospect profile and seeing these league winners, we were expecting Brees Hall and his prospect profile to earn targets as a rookie or uh, be used in the receiving game in a similar way that we saw Jonathan Taylor and even Adrian Peterson used where they're absolutely blowing up the receiving game. They were 
well known as receivers, but they're so good they will get the enough or amount enough amount uh, of work to reach you know those RB one numbers or high end RB numbers even without the full receiving usage that you'd really like to see on uh, the high um, production level running backs. But Brees Hall, what he's doing his first season currently has a thirteen percent plus target share through his first five weeks. And that's already much higher than what Jonathan Taylor and Adrian Peterson did as a rookie. And that's really important because we're talking about someone who had the same prospect profile as Jonathan Taylor. They're both very young. There's no really uh, picking between ages there, especially with them being running backs. And you get one here that's being used in an, or being used in the receiving game in a way that can absolutely uh, lead to breaking fantasy football much quicker than what a 10 to 12% target share was that we got out of Jonathan Taylor last year, not his rookie year. So um, he's, he's just been a but much better receiver up to this point than Jonathan Taylor was um, to start, or even to this point, because he's doing something in the receiving game. Even now, Jonathan Taylor isn't exactly doing. And I think it's fair to say that the New York Jets offense is much more on the rise and can elevate um, a running back currently much better than the Indianapolis Colts can. Um Although Jonathan Taylor is still so good, the, the O-line for the uh, Colts, well, some injuries is still good, but it's just not a very efficient offense. I mean, we saw Jonathan Taylor, even with the lowest running back one season scored since I believe Devontae Freedom, uh, Freeman, they came on 20 plus touchdowns. So um, there was still hyper efficiency to get him there. And that's the part where with Brees Hall, if he's going to be an absolute weapon in the receiving game, you don't have to rely on touchdowns as much for that very high end finish. Yeah, I'm with you right now. Jonathan Taylor and Brees Hall are back-to-back on Keep Trade Cut, and I would not be surprised. I was going to say I wouldn't be surprised if Brees Hall's ahead by January, but I'm going to say that I wouldn't be surprised if Brees Hall's ahead by midseason, like November. I think that's totally fair, especially seeing as we've already, uh, looking at Keep Trade Cut, he's already running back too, and just in terms of their value points or KTC value points, he's not that far behind him. Yeah, he's one, one spot behind, very... Uh, the people understand like how good of a prospect Brees Hall is, and they're being aggressive with him. I remember um, this isn't like that informative, but it's just very, very funny that there was a post on Reddit like in March that someone took a screenshot of, and it's like, I mean, I like Brees Hall as a prospect, but I can't believe that he's already over Antonio Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh my goodness! And it was li- listing off a bunch of other guys like. Austin Eckler and Alvin Kamara and then the, the lesson here is that when you have a smash prospect don't be afraid to get really aggressive with them and start putting them ahead of veterans because that's how you get ahead in dynasty especially at that position of all positions um, yeah I did which wanna... is why that so... I'm I'm fine taking Brees Hall over Jonathan Taylor right now because he is two years younger yeah and so uh, I want to because we just talked about Brees Hall and how he's been rather impressive in the receiving game before. Um, it, that was one piece that we weren't exactly expecting right now for how good he's been. But if we just want to talk about rookie running backs that have put up a 13% plus three share, uh, Brees Hall 14% or 13.9%. Um, and we're not uh, filtering for any prospect grade or anything like that, just rookies, rookie running backs who's above a 13% target share. Christian McCaffrey, Saquon, Reggie Bush, Matt Forte, Le'Veon Bell, Maurice Jones-Drew, Chris Johnson, Trent Richardson, Alvin Kamara, Najee Harris, and a random Tariq Cohen. Um, and that that's not filtering for any prospect grade. That's not filtering for carry percentage, um, efficiency. That's just – those are the only running backs we've had since 2006 to put up a 13% target share as a rookie. And that's just one piece of the Brees Hall um, whole picture. And this is someone they were talking about who's in a prospect uh, tier, the same tier as Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, and Reggie Bush were. Now I'm not saying he's putting up those level targets, but just the fact that we didn't uh, filter for any prospect grade, and these are the names that came up. And that's just in the receiving game, I think, says a lot about the upside we're about to see with Brees Hall. Yeah, absolutely. I can't remember what Bush's career looked like, but I know that Saquon and CMC both have seasons where they were the overall RB1 and so the ceiling is insane for Jonathan for uh, Brees Hall and I, I know that I, I don't know if Bush ever had an overall RB1 season but I know he had no. multiple seasons in the top 12 and the top 5 yeah and it is kind of funny because uh, Reggie Bush is someone who actually 
earned targets, but I think he was almost uh, ahead of his time because we're looking at someone who had uh, four 15-plus points per game season, which is about what it takes to be an RB1, and zero 18-plus points per game season. Uh, and we know that he was someone that did earn our targets. He was very good. I think he was just a little ahead of his time for whatever that's worth. And it is funny, we just got on a random conversation about Reggie Bush, but he is the only league winner prospect to not have an 18-plus point-per-game season. Wow, how disappointing. How could he? Ruining your, ruining the yeah. uh, optics of your model. Unfortunately, uh, nothing will ruin it as bad as this 2020 class is trying to. 2020 <laughs> QB class, sorry. 2021 QB class, sorry, I'm way off there. Yes, the QB <laughs> just, class. Okay, yeah. that's a, an interesting segue. What are you doing? with these QBs right now if in the 2020 class? Oh, shoot. So, I mean, this class got absolutely turned upside down, I would say. I think it's crazy that we still don't have a runaway that we know is good yet. And there was four elite prospects in that class. And I see Nelly with a, a email there, but he's <laughs> he'd been saying that for a little while. So, understandable. Yes. But, um yeah, it, it is rather crazy. Like we, they were elite prospects, and it's not just like by my uh, model that they were elite prospects. Like Trevor Lawrence isn't like undeniable, um, like elite prospect, if if you will. Like there's there's no real debate debate to that. Um, you're you're just more so nitpicking, I would say. Um, and I I don't think anyone expected Trevor Lawrence to be this bad uh, so far. Um, even though we don't expect rookie quarterbacks to be good last year, he wasn't good at all. And then this year there's a lot of mixed results, but nothing really great. Um, and that's true for like the whole class. Um, obviously Justin Fields isn't ex- uh, being great at all, but he's also stuck in the most archaic offense we've essentially ever seen unless he played 1980 fantasy football. Um, and, and that's someone that's getting uh, points per game on the ground is what's infuriating. Like Justin Fields peripherals have not been good. That's fair to say. But for someone that's averaging four to five rush points per game through his first five weeks, you would think with just a normal amount of pass attempts that they were giving him, he, he wouldn't be as low in terms of QB production as he would be, as great as his peripherals have not been. If, the, if he just got a even low amount of pass attempts, not historically, generationally low, we'd be looking at a quarterback that's just a middling QB2, and maybe we're not talking as negatively as we are, even though his peripherals aren't great. Um, and then there's the Trey Lance thing where, I mean, that was the worst case scenario. The pieces with Trey Lance were that, uh, he was going into, he was likely going to be the highest volume rusher. And we got a sneak peek of that in rookie season. And we saw it in his prospect profile and he was drafted so highly. So everything was there. And we saw it in a two game sample last year that he was going to be someone that rushed a lot. So he's someone that rushes a lot. There was a lot of that was the safety valve with Trey Lance, as well as being the ceiling uh, metric that we're looking at, and all that just evaporated with an injury. So if you're looking at one prospect that I was to say is the safest to reach QB one production in this class coming into the season, it was easily Trey Lance, and then he just suffered the the most unideal um, injury, especially given that the biggest piece of him being a safety the the safety piece of the high upside was that rushing usage. Um, so now there's obviously a longer delay on that. We don't see the carry percentage going into next year that we were expecting this year. Um, and that's kind of the problem because now you're relying more on Trey Lance's um, arm in this sense. He's still going to run, but it's not going to be close to what we were expecting uh, his first year removed from that injury. And then Zach Wilson, somehow up to this point, I would say has been the most encouraging quarterback in the 2021 class up to this point. And he's only played two games. And there's nothing that really totally stands out in fantasy football. Although I guess if we're talking about it in the sense that we've been talking about the rest of the class, his offense hasn't been completely archaic and he hasn't been, you know, QB 32 on the season. So there's that, but his peripherals have been solid. He's putting up 72.2 PFF pass grade to start the season. That's top 10 so far. It's only two games, but it's top 10 amongst all uh, quarterbacks right now. And he has 3.9 rushing points per game on just under 15% carry percentage. That's that scrambler type rushing usage that we wanted um, to be his floor and help with the ceiling. And as crazy as it is, and I don't think many are expecting it, up to this point, Zach Wilson's probably been the most encouraging from this class. What say you? Yeah, right now, I would say that Zach Wilson has been the most encouraging along with Trevor Lawrence. The volume has been better for Trevor Lawrence. So he is, um, he's been, he's been producing all right, but 
where he is right now on uh, keep trade cut uh, it like just outside of the second round at 25 I would be selling him just because the rushing isn't there like he was a scrambler coming into the year but nothing that's been like insane for Konami it's like the Trevor like Trevor Lawrence was like in the Joe Burrow uh, Justin Herbert mode where if you can if he can be a really good passer then the rushing is enough to take him from a low QB one to a high QB one but it's just not there where it's 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 just not there and so it's taking him from like a low QB two to a mid QB two and I, I don't know I, I just don't see him putting up a QB one season and so I'd be selling him right now at his in- inflated price Trey Lance is a solid hold right now like he's a guy that I'd be interested in buying just because I uh he's a guy like you should always try to buy injured players especially if you're looking to rebuild like if, if you're if you have a bunch of um if you have a bunch of value on your team right now and you think that you can't contend and you want to store it you're, you want to store your value in something more stable like say you have like an Alvin Kamara or a Dalvin Cook then trading for Trey Lance is something where your value is a lot more stable and it's going to go up as we go from the season where everyone wants points into a season where people don't want points into the off season. And the value is just going to go up as we get closer to him returning. And I'm, I'd be fine with buying him right now. Zach Wilson is very similar to Trey Lance's price right now in the sixth round. And I'd be interested. He's more of a hold, but I would be interested in buying him just because the price is, uh, is solid that he, his price can go up a lot if he has some spike weeks. Mac Jones, it's a uh, never buy Mac Jones season, and Justin Fields is also a solid hold just because he's been so bad, but his price has dropped so low that I don't think that you can sell for much of anything right now. Yeah, yeah, I would agree, and I'd Trevor Lawrence, I'd probably agree as a, a sell, someone I would be looking to sell right now, um, especially because he does still have that value on his side too. Um, oh yeah, there's one more 2020 QB that we didn't mention, Davis Mills. That's who I that was just for say, whatever you can get, like a late second, do it. Yeah, Dino yeah. Smith, do it. Carson Wentz, do it. <laughs> yeah, the thing care. with Davis, the Davis Mills is that he wasn't someone that projects to be a good quarterback. Still doesn't no. project to be that, especially in fantasy football. But because of how unideal this 2020 class has been, he he's just been like sticking <laughs> around, kind of in terms of like when we talk about the 2020 class, because when we're talking about these guys' production. In a way, it's actually unfair to leave Davis Mills out of the conversation, and that has more to do with how not great the 2020 class has been as a whole. Yes, absolutely. But you know, if I was going to bet on one QB from that class to get replaced after this year, it would definitely be Davis Mills with his complete lack of draft capital sitting right there next to Desmond Ritter on Cape Trade Cut. That's a that's a smash. It's not so much you can do straight up, but if you can convert your if you can make some moves to convert that roster the roster value of Davis Mills into a Desmond Ritter, we have an, another dice roll on a third rounder who might get some starts because it is a really bad team that just throws a rookie quarterback out there. And then the Desmond Ritter actually rushes. And so it's definitely a guy that I'd be interested in uh, pivoting, off, pivoting off Davis Mills for. I think the but part anyone, you have to remember. If you can get any any starting quarterback for Davis Mills. It's probably the solid. I bit. think the the part that you have to remember about quarterbacks is that you don't want to give up too soon because it's it's become very obvious that someone like Geno Smith can have that tenth year breakout. The tenth year breakout <laughs> is the new wide receiver second year breakout. I mean, he's the new Cordero Patterson. <laughs> yes, yes. So that's why you can never count out. Um, uh, shoot, Tyrod Taylor. I mean, he's still got stud written all over him, right? Absolutely, yes. Baker uh, Mayfield, don't give up too Josh soon. Josh Rosen, is he still floating around the league? Maybe he can come back. <laughs> yeah, don't don't be too uh, worried. I heard he got cut from his 10th team the other week, so maybe the dream is dead. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about Baker Mayfield's high ankle sprain right now because that's likely not going to be affecting him in year 10 when he's breaking out. That's right. On the uh, on Washington, that's what the tea leaves tell me. He's going to be playing for the Washington – Red uh, they changed the Washington name Rebels. They're going to change the name one uh, again. Yeah. Uh, um, and let's see here. I'm just looking actually through the quarterbacks. Um, and it does see we might have a Skyler Thompson start this week. Uh, oh, God. Just kind of random throwing <laughs> that out there. Um, just reminding everyone. Last week. Yes, that there will be some pain like that. Um, 
That's right. I, think... I remember someone describing uh, Bailey Zappi, who also is going to get a start as a cardboard, where, I don't know, no really strong opinions. He just is there. It's like the uh... most plain-looking quarterback with the most plain-looking play. And um, he throws touchdowns to Jacoby Myers, so I like him. And in terms of PFF pass grade, in a one-week sample size, he is the third-best quarterback. <laughs> that's, that's because of Jacoby Myers, let's be honest. Yeah, we should actually talk about Jacoby Myers. Okay, we should. Because he's great I don't talked about him. I, I mean, I feel like he's someone that on our squared we were talking about weekly. Um, yes. And the payoff is now. Um, I, there was a point, and I remember specifically last year, R squared talking about Jacoby Myers, and we we're talking about his peripherals on an offense um, that could, well, was hopefully much higher passing volume than we had hoped for with the New England Patriots, um, especially with the rookie QB was kind of the other part. Um, and it's hard to have efficiency when you weren't catching any touchdowns either. So the peripherals were there last year, and we were right about that. We mm-hmm. just had to wait the extra year this year um, to start all seeing together into fruition. Um, he's actually, you know, he can catch a touchdown here and there. It's not impossible for him to these days. I saw him do it just on Sunday. I saw him <laughs> with my own eyes. Which is hard to believe because if you would have told me that a year ago, you would likely be called a liar. I know. It's great. I love you. Right now, on the season, he has a 31% target share, which is absolutely insane. It's going to come down, like, being realistic. He's not going to finish the year um, third in the NFL in target share. It'd be awesome if he did, but I don't think so. But on the year, like we can, he he can definitely be a wide receiver too, even when the targets come down a little bit, because he's a very, very good receiver at earning targets, and he has been for basically his entire career after his rookie season, because he was a UDFA came into the league. Obviously, you know, he's not going to get a bunch of uh, playing time in his first year, uh, and that's okay. But then he gets on the field uh, mid season in 2020 and all he's done since then is earn targets at an alpha rate and so can't you gotta love him is it is it fair to say that jacoby myers is who you hope deontay johnson would be this season (laughs) um that's hilarious maybe i don't know maybe maybe i don't know there's got to be a funnier way we can say that someone that's that doesn't hurt me as much as you saying deontay johnson (laughs) Well, and we talked about Deontay Johnson last week. Kobe Myers is what people hoped Darnell Mooney would be. Yeah, that's good. I like I like that one. Awesome. And yeah, no, Jacoby Myers last year, I think it was around week five where we said there's a realistic possibility that Jacoby Myers puts up fringe wide receiver one numbers. I think <laughs> now, a year later, it's fair to say Jacoby Myers' rest of season is likely a wide receiver one. Well, okay. That's pretty aggressive. I don't. I don't hate it. I, I don't know. Like too aggressive. Why? What? What makes that? Do you think that Jacoby Myers falls out of RB one range? I mean, I don't think he's going to put up a thirty percent target share and finish with uh, eighteen points per game. Um, but no, but 20, I think he. I mean, just I think he'll head, fall like, Twenty-eight percent share, fifteen plus points per game. Um, and I think if Jacoby, I don't know, it, I I would. He's only played three games so far. Uh, yeah, this season, four. I would. Two, hasn't he? Hmm? Yeah, yeah, it's been yeah. three. Sorry, I quickly. For some it's reason, been, I was yeah, he's but played three way. games. Um, so I would lean a lot close. Like, if it was five games, then it's maybe closer to 27, 28 on the season. Like, but probably he's going to end the season at like 20, 25, 26% target share. Maybe it even goes down to 24, like he has for like just like last year, you know. That would not be overly surprising to me but the start of the season has been very strong and i think that he can definitely be um a wide receiver too for the rest of the season yeah i think i think that's more so closer to a floor but especially because we're not totally expecting jacoby myers to fall off in his ability to earn targets no Um, no. but i will say what he's been doing in terms of other peripherals like aside from target share like we're talking about pff pass grade Mm -hmm. past 10 yards per run he's been very good before um, he's been, yeah, the, he's been good for this isn't the first career. time that we've seen Jacoby Myers just ultra good in terms of those peripherals. It's the first time we've seen him put up like uh freaking uh 30% plus target share. I mean, that's the first time we've seen him do that, and yes. we're not expecting that to hold. But in terms of him falling from there, yeah. I, I, I see 26 28% as a likelihood for Jacoby Myers. Maybe 28, like you said, is a bit high. Maybe talking a little mm-hmm. bit off that, 
But these peripherals, other than just that target share being impressive, all these peripherals are not out of the realm of who Jacoby Myers has been his career. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I think it's fair to say that Jacoby Myers is is a very clear buy. Like, we're talking about Jacoby Myers, like, shoot, he might not be, wide, like, pull up wide receiver one numbers for a season. Maybe it's closer to wide receiver two numbers. Yeah, we're talking about someone who's valued right now, just like on a keep trade cut at wide receiver 60. <laughs> Which is, yeah, that's definitely definitely way too low for him. Like so many wide receivers, so I'd take Jacoby Myers over like pretty much everyone next to him. If I was doing rankings, I would probably put him closer uh, to the thirties. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. that. Yeah, he's I a very strong buy right now. Yeah, and for some reason, with all the movement we've seen, the Jacoby Myers movement just hasn't quite been there. We're leading the in charge, man. We gotta, we gotta we're be trying. more vocal about it. Every day from now on, we're gonna tweet Jacoby Myers propaganda. <laughs> Jacoby uh, Myers propaganda on the daily. Speaking of propaganda, guess who's second in the NFL in targets per game? In raw targets per game, second in yes. the NFL. <sighs> Am I gonna uh, CD Lamb? No. Is it a wide receiver? Yes. Okay, I figured. I just wanted to see how bad I was going to... Uh, Drake London? No. C- yeah, come on, he low. plays in the Stone Age offense. Too low. Yeah, I was going to say too low pass attempts there. I was just thinking of guys... Your hint is propaganda. Right That's your hint. Hollywood. Yes. Oh, it is Hollywood. Shoot. <laughs> well, I should... Oh, shoot, I should have guessed. I was going a little bit too much target share when I should have known that it was down there because I've been talking about how Marquise Brown... He's not going to be on an offense that throws another time over. I think he had one game with a 58 pass attempts, I think, is what the Cardinals finished with. Like, utterly oh, insane. Was that the Raiders uh, one? Yeah, and that's how, you, that's how you end up with 17 targets when you're not even, <laughs> even putting up, like, a 30% target share of that game. I know. I, I know. Someone commented. I tweeted the stat, and someone commented, how, how do we expect this to hold? And I said, no. Uh, but not because, not just because of DeAndre Hopkins coming back. DeAndre Hopkins could impact his share a little bit, not that much, because we can see that we can see him still have a great role. Um, but this offense is currently throwing forty-four times a game, uh, which is just absurd for what they've been doing over the last couple of years. They're probably still going to be top ten in what in um in uh, past times per game, and that's still going to be conducive to a wide receiver one finish for Marquise Brown, uh, especially with with his role being so high on this offense. But he's probably going to come down to earth just a little bit. He's still going to be great, and I still love him. But right now, uh, right now he's sixth, no, he's seventh in the NFL in wide receiver points per game. Um, So I'm just taking my victory lap here. I don't really have any takes right now, except... We continue to stand and we continue to buy. Uh, so I, I think there's a few pieces to the Marquise Brown, uh, I don't know, story up to this point, however you want to say it. Um, so DK Metcalf is not going to be the reason, like you said, that Marquise Brown falls off. DK um, Metcalf. Actually, oh, sorry, DeAndre Hopkins. I was just looking at the wrong page here. Um, but DeAndre Hopkins is not going to be the reason Marquise Brown uh loses his production or falls a little bit. Like we just talked about, the pass attempts will have a piece on that. But let's just talk about how – so DeAndre Hopkins, like if we just want to talk about DeAndre Hopkins first in this situation, yes, we all know that Hopkins has been and is still likely a good receiver. Is he the Hopkins of pass? No, most likely not. We saw all of his peripherals in the last couple of years take a little bit of a drop. It's still fantastic and still good. Like even last year when – things were really starting to fall a bit more. Still good, like looking at yards between pass attempt for DeAndre Hopkins, 1.64. That's something he hasn't got since he was in his first few years in the NFL. Yards per run, if we're just looking at a per route basis, 1.76. I mean, that's closer to his rookie numbers than what it has been the last few seasons. Target rate under 20%. So there's a lot of peripherals that pointed to, and we know he wasn't fully healthy. We still have to remember DeAndre Hopkins is over 30 years old. He's 30.4 years old. Um, so – the peripherals are falling and he's older. So there's obviously already risk with DeAndre Hopkins. And then let's take into account that Marquise Brown was just on an offense with Mark Andrews. 
And yes, we could talk about, and there is truth to it. That he, it was a lot of two wide receiver sets in Baltimore. But he, Andrews, even some one Mark, wide receiver sets. That's what I was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because Mark Andrews is that other piece. But mm-hmm. even so, Mark Andrews or Marquise Brown is still earning an alpha share alongside Mark Andrews, who to this point and right now in their careers is a much better target earner than DeAndre Hopkins is. And I think that's very fair to say. Um, so Marquise Brown did this, uh, was still an alpha basically in terms of target share alongside someone who was absolutely outfitting from the tight end position of Mark Andrews. I don't know what that noise was, but, uh, but of Mark Andrews. So we're getting a lesser target earner um, alongside. Now, granted, he's not in those two wide receiver sets, but he's still, there's a very realistic possibility and one that didn't exist in Baltimore that he is the best wide receiver on the field, even after Hopkins come back. There's still that realistic um, probability. Um, also, Akash texted me. I figured out what that noise was. His fire alarm's going off. So um, he is going to dip. I'm not sure for how long or if he'll be returning, but uh, sounds like a lot of chaos going on. Um, and just a little bit too much Marquise Brown for the fire alarms to handle, I suppose. So um, I kind of just wanted to open up to some questions, see if we got any questions. But uh, if not, I'll keep rolling with, um, with uh, well, well, I got to accept a co-invite. Yo, I got something there for you, go. you. Yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, so um, I was just curious. Uh, obviously not the most sexy player to talk about, but Josh Jacobs. Um, <laughs> I've never been a big Josh Jacobs guy, you know, but – it's hard to deny at this point, like at least over the past few games, his usage is kind of getting to the point where he is getting a little more interesting, you know, from a buying perspective, um, especially on one of my contending teams where I have, you know, Javante who went down getting thin at running back. Um, he seems like someone who potentially, you know, I don't know how this usage is going to hold, but I was curious what you think about that. Um, is he someone that's creeping up into the buy range or do you want to see this a little longer before you're pivoting there? Or yeah, what are you thinking? Um, so with Josh Jacobs, and great question, with Josh Jacobs, uh, I think it's much more of a hold situation versus a buy situation. Um, but there was one thing, like if we're going to talk about Josh Jacobs, we should note that in terms of opportunity share, he only trails Christian McCaffrey. So yeah, he has absolutely been getting the usage to start the season, especially when I think part of it too is just such a, uh, a, a pivot or a U-turn pivot, I should say, where – Josh Jacobs was, I I can remember the first preseason game, he was playing in the first preseason game and all of a sudden it was the end of the world um, for everyone who had Josh Jacobs or was a fan of Josh Jacobs or something like that. So you have this complete U-turn where he's getting outstanding usage and you've gone from that to this. Now, obviously not everyone was thinking that and his value was, wasn't like actually uh, that low where it's like uh, it's the end uh, for him. He was still in that RB twenties range. And that's honestly because we've seen usage from Josh Jacobs, maybe not this high, but similar to this. Um, the the thing, though, is that, like, we kind of mentioned it with uh, Jonathan Taylor, and Jonathan Taylor, as we know, is someone who's a bit more efficient in terms of the rushing game, is Josh Jacobs only has a 10.9% target share. So he's someone who's just getting enough to edge by in terms of um, his production. Like, when we talk about running back ones in the last five years or four years, um, the average target share for a top 12 running back has been 12% or higher. Uh, and that's something that we know uh, Josh Jacobs, although he's not putting up six and 7% target shares like he was in the first couple of years of his career. Um, this isn't exactly something that's going to likely spur high running back um, production. Now that being said, you don't have to pay high running back project uh, production to get him, but we're still looking at someone just looking at keep trade cut here. He's valued at RB 15. That right there, I just see some stronger pivots. Like Josh Jacobs has been good, but this is essentially a ceiling we're seeing from him. Uh, And what I mean by that is he's not someone who we can project or likely to project to have higher targets than he does now or better in the receiving game than he does now because we're in year four uh, or five or – sorry. Sometimes I feel we're in year four. We're in year four of Josh Jacobs' uh, career, and he's never been a high targeter, so we can't expect that from him. Now, he's been getting absolutely a very high carry percentage – and that's basically what you need from Josh Jacobs for him to, you know, reach higher levels of fantasy production without getting those targets. And he's getting that. Like we're looking at ceiling level usage, Josh Jacobs, and carry percentage is much or not as much likely to hold or, or as sticky as earning targets are, um, which is a bit more of the risky part with Josh Jacobs. And looking at keep trade cut, he's valued at RB15. And I think especially like just in terms of flipping for production, I would just rather flip for guys like an Alvin Kamara 
and Aaron Jones, a Leonard Fournette, and some of those guys you could get pluses on possibly for Josh Jacobs. And I just think that the usage in terms of the target earning and even their offenses, uh, maybe not New Orleans in the sense, but Green Bay and Tampa Bay, especially with how good they are in the receiving game. We know how high their ce- uh, ceiling is in that receiving game. Um, I would just, for a little less value, rather flip and maybe even get a plus on top of that. But that's kind of where I stand with Josh Jacobs. Been a good season so far, but I mean, there's still not that uh, that high ceiling that you kind of want. We got uh, any more questions? That was a terrific one. Uh, sorry if I talked a little longer than you know the question needed, but <laughs> no, uh, all good. That was a good answer. <laughs> got Nelly question on here. This is my uh, first time actually. Uh, there we go. I think I got it. First time actually uh, controlling one of these Twitter spaces. So. To speak there. There we go. Hey, bud. Um, I was just wondering what your thoughts are on the tight end landscape right now. Like, what are you doing with like uh, the Kittles and the Wallers of the world? Um, are you buying into like the success we're seeing from Njoku and the other kind of surprise guys? Are you panicked about Pitts? Like, how are you handling this? Um. So yeah, I think the tight end landscape and in terms of like it is every year it's rather um bad in terms of as a whole it's not awesome um but first off i think so i brought up how this is the first time you know basically a year that kyle pitts has not been the tight end one uh on keep trade cut and i think that's for a very fair reason like we are looking at mark andrews do something that we haven't seen a tight end um do at least not in the last like 20 seasons where a tight end puts above a 30% target share. Like, that's just not something you see from the position. And the fact that Mark Andrews is doing that, um, and he's still only 27, and we know that uh, tight ends can have these much later primes or uh, extension of production. Um, So Mark Andrews, I think, is deserving of that tight end uh, one uh, tag or designation. But Kyle Pitts is someone who I still think is very fairly uh, tight end one is right up or tight end two is right up there uh, under Mark Andrews. I'm not that concerned about it. It hasn't been terrific, but I think more of the worry with Cal or not worry, but what we haven't liked to see from Cal Pitts is that for some reason going from his second season or from his first season to his second season, his route participation has gone down despite his production actually going up. Like when we're looking just at tight ends and one thing I talk about is average depth of target. And a lot of people talk about that with tight ends because tight ends there and targets downfield are going to be the good ones in a pretty poor landscape. And even though Kyle Pitts hasn't been great, he's one of four uh, active tight ends with a target share above just 20%. Talking about Kyle Pitts, Kelsey, Andrews, and Higby. And then when we look at those tight ends that are actually earning the targets downfield, so those guys with a 20% share and an 8-plus dot, then you take Higby out of it and you're left with Andrews, Kelsey, and Pitts. So everything is still there profile is still there and even the production in a down season is absolutely still there like he still has a 33.4 air yard market share barely second to mark andrews who we know has been absolutely dominating on basically a 10 percent higher target share um and both are low volume offenses so i think it's a very strong one two tight end and no i'm not worried about kyle pitts um even though and actually i would be using this time to buy in on kyle pitts um, I've gotten a little more around on Njoku, and part of the reason for that is that we know tight end and their breakouts isn't exactly down to a specific year or likely a year. Like when we talk about wide receivers, like, and we have a wide receiver on their fourth season hasn't broke out, we aren't, we don't say like a year four breakout is likely or even close to likely. It's much more like basically a very low percentage. With tight ends, we just don't have that, especially because you don't have as many good tight ends, but you don't have that solidified breakout season shall we say and David Njoku's looked strong so far he's not someone I'm just going out and buying but I've absolutely been encouraged by and I'm taking something away from it like he's earning a very strong amount of targets his route percentage has gone up about 15 percent since last season and he'll be going on to an offense with uh, Deshaun Watson now there's obviously more holes in that like he's not exactly dominating air yard market share by any stretch of the imagination um you know, everything is not there. 1.8 yards per team pass attempt, as good as uh, he's been or as surprising he's been, is still not absolutely awesome, although still fine. Um, but his BFF receiving grades have been good, and there's enough good there that I'm like, they're, especially in a bad tight end landscape, it's pretty clear top eight tight end, pretty clear top seven tight end. Um, I don't think 
it's all for show, but especially taking this upside in a pretty crappy um, tight end landscape, especially like you just talked about with Kittle and Waller, both not producing to what we've come accustomed to seeing them. And the problem, especially with Kittle, was that he's already in an offense where it's not exactly high volume and there's a lot of mouths to compete against or uh, earn targets against. And he has below an 18% target share to start the year. Now, granted, this is only his second or, or is only his third game or second game because he started the season late. So you're not seeing it. There's still a lot more room for that to grow. He's just coming back from injury. Um, so I'm not getting too into George Kittle and like dropping him in ranks or um, going out and saying must sell or anything like that, especially with where his value is right now. I'm a bit more freaked out about Darren Waller. Um, obviously, he didn't finish the game, so he can't take much from this last week because well, he didn't finish the game. But he has a 16.3% target share, which is lower than Hunter Renfro. 1.13 yards per team pass attempt, which is lower than Hunter Renfro. And his PFF receiving grades haven't exactly been there either to give us much encouragement. And he's 30 years old. So I know that there's – so that, like, tight ends can go. And, like, we see Kelsey now. He's at 33 and still bowling. But, you know, he's older and things are diminishing. And he is in an offense with Devontae Adams, which shouldn't have ate, you know, someone who we saw, like, earning 23% of the targets down to – 16.3%. Granted, he left one of the games early, but it's still not putting up to the level peripherals that we're seeing from Hunter Renfro, which I think is a bit more nerve wracking. Um, and I've actually, you know, dropped Darren Waller just a little bit, which stinks because he was someone that I felt was pretty underrated going into the year because of the Devontae Adams effect. But I will say, I'm not sure that he's putting up a 16% target share because of Devontae Adams, um, especially with what Hunter Renfro is doing. Um, if I were to talk about uh, another tight end, just while we're talking about the landscape, I've actually been pretty encouraged with Pat Fryermuth. Um, I think there's a lot of positive there, especially because he's someone that's in his second season, so there's still a lot of unknown. And he was an upside prospect, a good prospect. And when we look at his range of outcomes, granted there, uh, there was a floor that wasn't exactly awesome, and that's because, well, he wasn't Kyle Pitts' his rookie year as good as he was his rookie year. But you saw a ceiling in his range of outcomes of players like, uh, Travis Kelsey, Aaron Hernandez, um, George Kittle. I can pull up the exact room right here because it was rather impressive, um, especially when it went a bit under uh, the radar because of how good Kyle Pitts was. Rob Gronkowski, Zach Ertz, George Kittle, Vernon Davis, Aaron Hernandez, Greg Olson, um, Dustin Keller. Like Those are all guys that he has in his room. And the guys that are on the low end of his range of outcomes that we have are Brevin Jordan, Tony Scheffler, and David Joku. So it's, it's not like fantastic or anything but the upside is there and he's putting up peripherals to start the season before he left uh early with the concussion he was one of those other he was one of the five tight ends in the league with the 20 percent target share pff receiving grades are looking good yards per team past tempo looking good and you could get him for a bit cheaper because well his situation isn't exactly awesome and he's kind of been under the radar um and more so breaking out like he hasn't been some major breakout but his peripherals have all increased we know he has a high ceiling because of his range of outcomes so He's actually a tight end that, yes, and joke has been good, but I've actually been a bit more encouraged from Pat Fryermuth. Um, and I, I figured now that I like that being a Steelers fan and everything, but I think there's a lot to like with uh, Pat Fryermuth. Yeah, I was going to say before Ian stole my thunder. I'm back, by the way. Hi. Um, <laughs> that before he left the game with concussion, he had a 23% target share, which is really – which is really good. It's, it's solid to see. Um, and so if I was if I was uh, rostering a guy like Darren Waller or George Kittle right now, and I was, um, and it's like, uh, this was one of my pieces for a contending roster. I was going to be banking on having top five difference-making tight end production. You're like, okay, this is one of the things that's been going wrong. Maybe you also had some other guys who aren't panning out, and you're looking to pivot off of Kittle or Waller. I would feel very good about moving them for Pat Fryermuth just to get younger and get more secure value because he's not 30 years old. And he's also earning targets at a very solid rate. I think that's really good. I, I would not mind turning Waller shares into Fryermuth um, straight up, honestly, which is likely what it is. Yeah, it um, is straight up. It might even have to add a third onto Waller's side, honestly. But... I don't but there's think a lot more risk in the Waller profile, which is what you're trying right, to say. Right, I would say, be fine because... adding a third. Right, the risk is with the Waller profile because of age and um, what, he, what we've seen from him so far this season. Undeniably, 
Kittle and Waller have stronger histories of production, and I would bank, I would bet on them finishing higher um, at the end of year points per game than they are, and for rest of season points per game, I would bet on them finishing higher than where they are right now at like ten points per game in non-tight end premium. But even so, I would be like, especially if I didn't need points, I would feel comfortable moving them for Pat Fryer move. Yeah, I like I like that move a lot, and maybe something I have a couple other shares. Maybe something that I'll try. I look into that um, too. Hopefully, they uh, the person who has prime within my leagues where I'm trying to do that doesn't uh, listen to this. In fact, everyone stop listening so that I'm not popular. <laughs> Anyone in my leagues, please leave. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. And um, also the tight end landscape in general. I kind of came back in the middle of when you were talking about all that. But it just mm-hmm. makes Mark Andrews a fantastic buy high, because the only other tight end right now who is producing to the level of Mark Andrews is 33 years old, and next year is going to turn 34. And so we could be looking at it like Kyle Pitts has all the peripherals, and I'm absolutely confident in saying, okay, eventually somewhere in Kyle Pitts's career, he's going to have a legendary season. He's going to have a season that breaks fantasy. I'm still very confident in that. He's still only 21, 22 years old. Just turned 22 uh, like a week ago, I believe. But it might not. It's looking like that's not going to be this year. And we'll, we'll be saying the same things next year, where it could be and it could not be what will look towards the breakout. And so this isn't a slight to Kyle Pitts in any way. But it it's is very possible. Mark Andrews has been. It, yes, it, uh, it's very possible that we're looking at Mark Andrews as an absolute cheat code next year and for the remainder of this year um, at the tight end position. So could, he's just a, you, always by. Could you imagine if Mark Andrews was on a passing volume offense like the Kansas City Chiefs? Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. I could imagine. Really it's called all of Travis Kelsey for the last six years. Imagine getting Travis Kelsey well, level production for the next six years. And that's what, uh, that's what you can easily get when you buy Mark Andrews right now. And the, the Baltimore offense... They've been, they've been okay. They're not passing as much as last year, but no. they're not doing well, the thing that they did before in like twenty twenty. No, no, and they're not throwing the ball a lot. But to start the season, and it won't continue to be this high efficiency. But they've been a very efficient offense. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in a low passing volume, especially when you have tight end premium on your side, uh, Mark Andrews, who's putting up thirty percent plus target share, is still going to feast even in low passing volume offenses like the Ravens. He's still going to feast. He's still going to get his, um, as is true with basically any player that's putting up these level of peripherals. Um, but yeah, just we have not seen a tight end um, do this yet. And I'm not saying it'll continue and it'll likely drop out of that 30% club. Mm-hmm. Um, although I don't, I wouldn't say it's the most crazy thing that he's the first tight end that we have with a 30% plus target share, especially given uh, the other pieces on the offense. Um, the way this offense I, is built and just the talent that Mark Andrews is, it wouldn't surprise me, but I would expect him to finish yes. a pair under 30. Because the yeah. way this offense is built, it is basically like Mark Andrews is their wide receiver one, and they're sending a, they're sending out packages where he's basically competing with like one to two wide receivers uh, for targets, and I don't know, none of those wide receivers are Marquise Brown anymore. So... He's playing with no alphas. He is running out of personnel where they're just like sending a bunch like they're like putting other tight ends out there. They're putting the Isaiah likely they're running out there with fullbacks. And that's very conducive to Mark Andrews coming close, if not hitting the 30 percent mark. Yeah. And I also think it's fair to say that uh, Rashad Bateman hasn't exactly been good or great or I mean, when you look at things like his yards per run and yards per team pass attempt thus far, they're fantastic. And I think a part of that has to do is with the long plays, the like the Lamar seventy Jackson. yard broken yes. play. Like yes. when we're talking about his best weeks, we're talking about ones where he hasn't averaged up the target of twenty plus. Um, yeah, he's because... it's not a sustainable mark. Like we love yards per hour run, but Rashad Bateman is a very fraud, very fraudulent in the yards per hour run department. Solid, Especially though. with a four-game sample size. Yeah, 20% target share. It's solid, and he's, he'll probably end the season as a wide receiver three. It's not what we uh, 
we're hoping for, but it's he's hitting his median outcome, and that's yes. fine. I think I think but it's actually that debate where we were debating uh, JJ Zacharyson. I don't know. I feel confident about it. I'm not going to victory lap right now, but well, just part that of that argument there. was that Rashad Bateman could have a 30 percent target share, and I think you can victory lap that because I think it's going to be can, impossible. Yeah. To- we but yes, uh, I think it's it's still a bit early to say Rashad Bateman is, you know, maybe a bit overvalued and has been for a little bit. I think it's fair, which I I don't know what and why this keeps happening. So 2020 happens, CeeDee Lamb, elite prospect. And this is the first year that like, I built that model. CeeDee Lamb, elite prospect, um, big fan of him as prospect comes in. And then it's like all of a sudden he gets, in terms of CeeDee's case, it was like a massive overrated uh, even being an elite prospect for what it felt like his uh, range of outcomes was going forward. And then the year after the next draft, we get an elite prospect like Rashad Bateman, who I'm very excited about. And then we go into his second season, and it seems like he's not as you know high of a value as CD. No, he never hit feels the like, mark. Yeah, it feels like he was a bit overvalued or a bit um, counting production last year that wasn't actually there. Um, I, I think that's the biggest – thing and this may pivot away from the just specific conversation about Rashad Bateman is it's one thing to like people want to talk about have like having context that you know he didn't have the healthiest season or something like that but when part of your analysis turns like you're just taking that to uh, like as the context you're some are counting in production that wasn't actually there because they're adding context i think that's the biggest thing is people are saying like add context to this like he, he came into the season or didn't play till week five or whatever it was yeah you should take that with a grain of salt but you can't have production or count production that wasn't there when you're applying it to further down the line or like the next specific season like we're talking about with rashad bateman i think that was like like he wasn't that good last year and it's very fair to say that he didn't have a healthy season but i don't think it's fair to count production that wasn't there and say he's going to boom going forward because he was still good as a rookie because of his injury. If he, if, I don't know. I don't know if I made that a bit confusing. <laughs> a little bit, but it's okay. I think uh, the biggest takeaway from what we're seeing with Rashad Bateman is that if you're going to build uh, like what your expectations for an offense start at the top going down, like we knew Mark Andrews coming into the year was going to be the alpha. I did not think that he would hit 33% target share, but I, I remember that thread. There were some people saying, hey, maybe he does because of no Marquise. This offense could just bundle through him. And props to whoever said that. But building from the top down, you say Mark Andrews is the alpha. We're looking at 27+. Plus. And then Ben Bateman, and you say, okay, based on everything that I, like, I look at, we, I expect this much. And then you look at the Devin Duvernay's and everyone else. You don't say, okay, Duvernay's, never, Duvernay's always been under 10% for his entire career. And Prochet's always been under 10%, etc. So I'm just going to keep them under 10%. Uh, because well, right now, Duvernay is at 14% and Isaiah Likely is at 12%. And so they're earning roles that, um, that, do, that are enough to get you to 100% without Rashad Bateman being at 25 to 30%. And we see Rashad Bateman at 20% target share right now, which is about where his median was for my expectations coming uh, out of last season. And so the takeaway is that don't bank on vacated targets to uh, boost your young wide receivers' target projections. Well, I think you accidentally came up with a Mark Andrews tweet that's disguised as a Marquise Brown tweet is what it sounds like. Let's hear it. What's the tweet? Well, you're just talking about how uh, whoever predicted that Mark Andrews have a 30% target share because like, Marquise Brown is leading. That's right. That just speaks <laughs> to how good Marquise Brown is. Yes, I knew you could find a way to. Marquise Brown that. is Mark- the Emmanuel Sanders <laughs> to Mark Andrews, Gabe Davis. That's the tweet. <laughs> oh, man. You're just going on a wormhole with Marquise Brown level tweets. Absolutely love it. Um, so it seems like we're at the end of the hour here. Um, and I have a non uh, – as as my friend, um, did you watch the Mariners game yesterday? I heard about it. They lost, right? Yeah. 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 Fuck the Astros, man. That's tough. It was so, a tough loss. Just related back to football, this – the way I've been thinking about – This is your 28-3. Which, which, which if you don't know, so so we were winning or we had a good lead throughout the game. 
and comes the ninth inning, it's seven five. We get two outs, and then it comes that there's two on with two outs. Bottom of the ninth, we're up seven five in game one of the ALDS against the Astros. We bring in a starting pitch who's never closed before, really weird, and also the hitter hits really well historically against said pitcher. Very weird move. What happens the second pitch that he throws? A walk-off home run for the Astros to win it. And not just any walk-off home run. In terms of playoff baseball in the past 100 years, there has never been, there's never been a walk-off homer or a homer swing the uh, win probability as much as the last one did, surpassing Kurt Gibson. The Mariners <laughs> were at a 90% plus win probability when he stepped to the plate. And when it was over, it flipped to 100%. So, uh, yeah, he had absolutely flipped the chart um, on it, and it was very demoralizing. And when how much I've been thinking about it, I thought to myself this morning, I go, "This is the Malcolm Butler interception all over again." Oh no, <laughs> that's tough. All right, that's a great, great way to to end the R squared Fantasy Football Show, where we talk about football. Uh, thank you all for listening, for tuning in. Uh, some great questions. I love the new format of interacting with people on Twitter. This is going to be up on all the streaming platforms under the Bulletproof Fantasy Football channel. And so if you're listening on places like Spotify, Apple Music, anything like that, don't be afraid to uh, give us a nice review and rate us five stars, all the things that you can do on those podcast apps. Thank you so much for listening and uh have a great week see you next week thank you very much guys for tuning in uh have a good one